Good morning. If you would, grab a Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is where we'll begin our period of study in this part of our worship. Hebrews chapter 11. Good to see all of you this morning. We have a number of visitors with us. We always want to welcome you and let you know that we're happy that you're here with us. Always want to let you know that if there are any questions you have about this group and the work that we do, the things that have been done for us by Jesus and the message of the gospel that we try to spread, uh, we'd love to talk to you about those things. But we're thankful that you're here, and we want you to know if there's any way that we can help you to know more about what we're doing or to know what it is to be a Christian and to be a follower of Jesus, we'd love to talk to you about that. So please stick around for a minute. Let us get to know you. But we're thankful that you're here. Hebrews chapter 11 is where I want to begin. I want to begin in verse 23. Hebrews 11 and verse 23, the text says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. In this section, the Hebrew writer is describing great heroes of faith and the things they did through their faith, and he comes to Moses. But what is interesting is that the story of Moses' faith does not begin with Moses. Look again at verse 23. It says in verse 23, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. His faith and the story of Moses begins with the faith of Moses' parents who had the guts to hide him and to resist the king's command that all the baby boys be killed. The faith of Amram and Jochebed, those two parents of Moses, led to and and laid the foundation for the faith that would then be the faith of the leader of the children of Israel. But what I want to show you from this text is that the faith of Amram and Jochebed extended to their parenting. It was not just something that they believed, and I'm going to believe in God, my kids can believe in whatever they want. Their faith led them to do certain things for their children. And because of that, God blessed them and blessed their family. I want you to notice that while all that is said in this text is is emphasized about Moses' faith, all the things, verse 24, verse 25, verse 26, that Moses did and the choices Moses made, that all of that began with his parents. So what I want to talk about for a few minutes this morning is those two parents of Moses, Amram and Jochebed, and concerned parents. Now, somebody's going to tell me, I don't know if, who it is, somebody's going to tell me that that's not how you say her name. I know. It's something like Johebed or something like that, but I can't do that. I'm from Texas, so I'll tell you the same thing I told the guy who told me it's Mikhail and not Michael, David's wife, that... I'm from Texas, and we're going to say it the way I would say it in Texas, which is Jacobet. So if you have any problems, that's fine. We can talk about it later. Amram and Jacobet and concerned parents. Why would we talk about that? Well, it's because Amram and Jacobet had a really difficult job to do, to try to raise a child in the time in which they raised their child. And I believe we share, as parents, a lot of the concerns that they would have had about some of the difficulties of that. And we can learn from them and their example. Because we want what they wanted, which is to communicate and transmit faith from one generation to the next. We want our kids to grow up understanding and knowing what we know and understand about God. And they successfully did that. So there are some things that I believe we can learn. Particularly, I believe what we can learn from them is some reassurance about the challenge of raising children in a difficult time 
and that it is possible with the help of God to accomplish that. So let's see if we can't receive some encouragement from the Bible for those of us who are concerned about our own children. Let's go back to the book of Exodus and let's look for a while at the story of Moses and his parents. Exodus chapter 1. So the scene in Exodus 1 is Egypt. Remember that the descendants of Jacob have come down to Egypt during the grain to get during the famine to get grain, and, and now they've stayed there, but they've become a numerous nation, and so the, the people of Egypt have enslaved them, and now there is an even more difficult thing that happens in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 22. It says, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Exodus 1, Every son that is born of the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So... Pharaoh says, drown all the baby boys in the Nile. The the girls you can let live. This is probably for a population control and possibly to head off the prospect of revolution. That if we have fewer men in this great slave race that we have, then maybe we can prevent them from rising up against us, even though they have greater numbers. I just want to begin with this idea that Moses was born in a difficult time. Can you imagine a more difficult time? where your people are enslaved in a foreign land, they have very little sense of everything's going to be okay, and then as as your baby is to be born, the king, who also, by the way, considered himself a god, says every baby boy needs to be thrown into the river and killed. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him. Three months. Now, this is not Amram and Jacobet's first child. We know it's going to play into the story. They have a daughter, Miriam, who's going to be a little older, and a son, three years older, named Aaron. But it appears that Moses is the first child that's born when this edict is enforced. So, she sees, the text says that he is a fine child. It's interesting. Stephen says in his little speech that he was beautiful in God's sight. Not just beautiful, but beautiful to her and to God. Someone that God was going to use. So she hides him for three months. This is the act of faith that the Hebrew writer pointed out. He was hidden for three months by his parents. But there's going to be a time when people begin to notice a little boy. Sometimes that's about him being louder. You just think about a baby hiding a a three-month-old, a six-month-old. You parents of young children, how long are you going to be able to hide him? And then you also have the prospect that maybe some of... The Egyptians or even some of your fellow Hebrews are going to hear and turn you in. It's a scary thing. And so she does something out of faith. In verse 3, when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds in the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. It's not really clear what her plan is here. Jochebed, Moses' mother. Maybe she's just hiding him for a short time. Maybe there's some kind of inspection. She's just getting him out of the house. But the idea is not, as I've seen sometimes portrayed, that she just throws the basket on the river and hopes for the best. The idea is she puts him in the reeds where he won't be taken off into the river and where she can come back and get him at a later time. But some have even suggested that she is ironically fulfilling the order to cast every baby boy into the Nile. Okay, Well, she cast him into the Nile in one sense, but she's going to get him back. Verse 5. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. So this is the time for prayer, isn't it? Pharaoh's daughter comes. 
Pharaoh's daughter is bathing at that place, and she happens to see this basket, but what's going to happen with the baby? She might look and say, well, my father's wishes need to be fulfilled. Something is happening where the, Egypt, the Israelites are trying to go around his edict, and so maybe she's going to be on his father's team and fulfill his father, her father's order. Verse 6 then, when she opened it, she saw the child. Behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the girl went and called the child's mother. And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took her the child and nursed him. So Miriam is right there. She sees the pity that Pharaoh's daughter has, and she acts on that. She says, Do you want me to go find a nurse? And so, of course, Moses' mother raises Moses and gets paid to do it. Moses was born in a difficult time. And all that I believe we can take from this story is what a powerful way God can work in difficult times. If you asked Amram and Jacobet, well, would you rather Moses be born in a comfortable house in your own land where there's no threats to his life? Of course they would say yes. Where he wouldn't grow up, even in the best of circumstances, to be a slave? Of course they would say yes. But they didn't really have a choice, did they? There was no other world in which he could be born. This was the world as they understood it and experienced it. And so they had a child, and they trusted God to bless them. And they trusted God to take care of their child, even when there were enemies opposed to the child. Now, we share that concern, don't we, of raising children in difficult times. We're not enslaved. We don't usually feel fear for our physical safety. But it is hard to watch the spiritual challenges that our children face and the increasing difficulty of remaining faithful to God and a believer in God in the time in which we live. It's hard to watch. It's hard to watch growing acceptance of sexual behaviors that God says are wrong. It is hard to watch a climate in which the Bible is viewed with a kind of dismissive disdain. It is hard to watch where the popular conception of what it is to be a Christian is that you are hypocritical and really secretly evil. That's hard to watch. And it's hard for us to say, I'm going to launch out into this new world with this precious innocent child and raise them among ideas and people like that. But that is the world in which we will raise children because there is no other world. That is our world. And so like Amram and Jacobin, what we have is not perfect circumstances. What we have instead is faith in a God who can work in difficult circumstances. Moses was born in a difficult time. Now, part of what we do as parents is to, as best we can, protect our children from the world and the dangers of the world in which we live. That is exactly what Amram and Jacobed do. They're watching over their child. They are the child's protectors. But we have to understand that there are some things that we have to trust God to help in and take care of for us because we cannot affect the times in which we live. Second, Moses had only a short time at home. So Moses does go home, and his mother raises him from this time until an undefined time a little later in his life. Look in verse 10 of Exodus 2. Exodus 2 and verse 10. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Now, 
what happens here in verse 10 is the phrase, when the child grew older. We're not exactly sure what that means. It's a word that has some vagueness attached to it. It could mean when the child was weaned and reached a certain period of childhood. It could even mean when he grew up to be an adult. Whatever it means, there was a point at which this child was no longer with his parents. Instead, he was with this other family, Pharaoh's daughter, and he began to be raised in the palace. So just a few short years, but something happens in that time in which Amram and Jochebed do something that lasts for Moses through the rest of his life. Look in verse 11. Exodus 2 and verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now notice that text in verse 11 says, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. At this moment, Moses is now 40 years old, but he is aware of the fact that the Egyptians are not his people. His people are the Hebrews. And he went out to look at his people and to see their burdens. Moses has a deep sense. At 40 years old, when he had grown up, I know that seems a little old for when he had grown up, but Moses is going to live a long time. When he had grown up, he is ready to think of himself as a Hebrew. Where did that come from? That had to come from, had to begin with Amram and Jacobin. I doubt he is learning how much he is a Hebrew at the feet of Pharaoh's daughter. And in fact, if you turn the page to Exodus chapter 3, when God appears to Moses, in in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6, God says... I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Verse 15, Exodus 3 and verse 15. God also said to Moses, Say to this people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. See, there is also this idea that Moses does not say, Wait a minute. God of the Hebrews? Who is that? I know about Ra and about Sekhmet and Osiris and all those gods of Egypt, but I don't... Jehovah, God of the Hebrews? No, I don't know who that is. No, Moses is ready to understand and receive a message from God because Moses knows he is a Hebrew and he is going to serve the God of the Hebrews. Where did that come from? It had to come in that short window in which he was at home. In short, what I am trying to say is that even though Moses had only a short time at home, his parents instilled in him a sense of identity. This is who you are. This is the people you belong to and all of the commitments that would make in terms of character and in terms of the religious experience you need to have. All of that comes from the fact that you are raised by your people and that you are one of us. Now, I don't know how that time went, but don't you think that Moses' mother must have felt a tremendous sense of urgency? That I'm going to have to give this kid back. Yes, I mean, I saved his life. He's going to live, and that's great. But he's only going to be at home a little while. I know that that must have been incredibly emotional. It must have been so difficult for a mother to give her child up. But what urgency that must have made those months and years of his time at home. Because she knew there was going to come a time when she would have no more say in his life and influence on him whatsoever. And in fact, she was going to give him up to the king, to be raised in the palace, in the heart of the beast, as we'll see in a moment. 
The encouragement, though, of Moses' parents is that it is possible for us to instill a sense of identity and faith in our children, even when we only have a short time. You can see that from this story. Something happened that stuck with Moses the rest of his life. And as the Hebrew writer points out, that faith was first in his parents and then in him. So, Moses had only a short time at home. It seems to me that this relates well to us. We may have more time than Moses' parents had, but we still only have a short time with our children. And there comes a time where the expectation is they are going to be grown up. They are going to be outside of our sphere of influence in the same way that they are for those pivotal years when they are in our home. And so there is, like his parents, a sense of urgency, right? A sense that we've got some things we've got to teach and teach now because the time later on is going to be too late. Because later on, they're not going to listen the way they listen now. Later on, they're going to have their own thoughts and their own friends and influences. They may not hear me the way they hear in this moment. And the encouragement I want to give our parents is that we can do that in a way that gives them the faith and the identity and the character we want in them, even though we only have a short time. Don't be discouraged because the time is not as long as you might hope it would be. Very often, I have seen people who are get into their 20s, and they stop being interested in Jesus. And they go off and they do their own thing, and then when they usually, when they get into their early 30s, they'll get married and they'll have children, and then they come back to church. And the reason, I've had several of these conversations, the reason they say is, I want my kids to be in Bible class, I want them to learn about Jesus. And I'm always thankful when, when people kind of turn around and say, you know what, I do see the importance of this, and I want it for the next generation. But I especially want to say, if we only have a short time where our children are at home, and we want to give them faith and identity, as parents, it's going to be essential that we have that faith to give, that we have some sense of identity and who we are and what we believe, so that we can pass it on. Otherwise, that short time at home is not going to be very focused or effective. Because we're not even sure what we believe and think. So it appears to me that part of our concern needs to be directed at us growing in our own faith as parents so that we can pass it on to our children. The third thing I want to say about this story is that Moses had some dangerous influences. Look in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 10. In Exodus 2 and verse 10, it says, When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. She brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. He is going to be raised in the house of Pharaoh. He is in the heart of the beast. We don't have to speculate about what it would be like to grow up in Pharaoh's house because we actually have some statements about that. This is Acts 7.22. It says, And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was mighty in his words and deeds. We often worry about the education of our children. What are they being taught? Is it true? Is it compatible with faith? Are they being fed lies? I remember when I attended college, and I attended a fairly conservative university, if that's not an oxymoron, but the university where I attended, I remember professors, not in biology classes, in history classes, in Western civilization classes, in religion classes, 
setting out deliberately to undermine my faith, ridiculing faith, deliberately as an agenda. We worry about that. We worry about our kids. What are they learning? Are they prepared for when they leave home and they encounter that kind of education? So what do you think about Moses growing up, listening to all the origin stories of the Egyptians, all the stories of the Egyptian gods, all the wisdom of the Egyptians? What do you think that was like for Amram and Jochebed? Thinking about, I wonder what he's learning, wonder what he's hearing, wonder what he's being exposed to. Moses had dangerous influences, and yet I want to remind you, He emerged from that crucible with his faith intact. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. You want to know a little bit about what it would be like to grow up in the palace? The idea of the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he refused to be called that. That is a status thing. Anybody in the land of Egypt would bow to you if you said, I am the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I am somebody in the world. And Moses refused that. It also talks about the fleeting pleasures of sin and the treasures of Egypt. Think about what Moses would have had access to. It could have been anything. He could have had anything he wanted. I mean, what could Pharaoh not get? Moses had so much to overcome. If you want to talk about dangerous influences, I'm not sure it could get much more difficult. We worry about influences on our kids, and rightly so. We know how strong and the pull of people can be. We know because we've experienced it. We know because we have stumbled. And we know that very often our influences had something to do with that. We know how that works. And I'm sure that Amram and Jochebed would have preferred for Moses not to have the influences in his life that he did. But they really had no choice. Now I understand, and please don't get me wrong. I believe that one of our primary obligations as parents is to be very careful about the influences we allow to have an impact on our children, and to what degree. But I think we all know that there will be a time when our children will make their own choices and allow the the voices they want to hear, and they will have the self-control that they decide to have. What Moses shows us is it is possible to raise men and women of faith in the presence of very dangerous influences. The fourth thing I want to say is that Moses needed to grow. Look in Exodus 2 and verse 11. Exodus 2 and verse 11. It says, One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. So Moses acts impulsively here, and he murders an Egyptian. 
And he seems surprised when the next day one of the Hebrews kind of balks at him and throws it up in his face. Pharaoh seeks his life and so he runs. He runs to the desert, to the land of Midian. We actually know what Moses was thinking. Again, we're helped by a New Testament commentary on this. This is Acts 7.25. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Moses was thinking when he struck that Egyptian down, the revolution is coming. Here it is. I'm not going to stand here and watch this abuse. This is not right. And he kills the man. And he thought the response would be different. In other words, what Moses does here is an act of faith. He believes God is going to deliver the people, and he believes now is the time. It must have been awfully disillusioning. Haven't you ever had that where you you took a step of faith and it backfired? You took a step of faith and it it just didn't work at all? It's awfully discouraging, and it was for Moses. The way that the the Old Testament pictures that time of Moses in the desert is as a time of Moses basically trying to heal from the disappointment of losing everything that he had. I wonder how much Moses had thought about how his position might have been a gift from God so that he could deliver the people of God. And now all of those thoughts for 40 years, he had been preparing for that moment, and then the moment came and he acted and, and nothing. Instead, he's just a wanted man. Imagine if you are Amram and Jacobed, though. I'm not entirely sure how long they lived related to Moses' timeline. We know that Amram lived to 137. So it appears to me very likely that both of Moses' parents, watching from afar as he is raised in the palace, now live the next 40 years. Just imagine this, parents. The next 40 years with their son in exile as a murderer. All the potential, all the work, all the risk you've taken. And instead what you get is a disappointment. There is so much more for Moses to learn. I believe that This is painted in the Bible as an impulsive act that Moses needed to wait and to trust God. But I want to say it this way. Moses needed to grow. And over the next 40 years, when Moses is out in the desert, he marries a woman, he has children, raises a family, becomes a different kind of man. Do you know how I know he's a different kind of man? It's a reading that's a little too long for us to go into this morning. But when God appears to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3 and 4, have you ever noticed how reluctant Moses is to go? We usually do that by by talking about his excuses. Oh, he has this excuse and this excuse and this excuse. I see it as reluctance. Moses is reluctant to go. Why would he be so reluctant? Because the last time he had acted in faith to deliver God's people, nothing happened. Please, he says, just send somebody else. And I want to suggest to you that in those 40 years, Moses has grown. It's not growing in the way we sometimes think about it. It's growing downward. He has grown from impulsivity to carefulness and patience. He has grown from ambition to humility. 
fact, later on, he is going to be described as the most humble or most meek man on the earth. Moses learns to trust and try God again, but it takes him a lot of convincing. And what is really neat to me is the idea that maybe Amram and Jochebed get to see the whole process unfold. And that they see their son come back with their other son as a changed man. And together they deliver the people of Israel. They see Moses fully grown into a man of faith. They just had to wait until he was 80. So what I want to say here is that Amram and Jochebed show us that our children are going to need to grow. And that the process of growth is going to be at least as difficult as our process of growth was. And it's going to take at least that long and be at least, at least that challenging. That's never smooth as a process. It helps me because when I read and think about Amram and Jacobet and what they must have been thinking about their son, it reminds me so much of the heartache I see parents go through. The heartache of parents who worry about their kids when they make mistakes in their teenage years, who worry about their kids when they leave home, who worry about their kids when they decide someone to marry, who worry about the habits that they have, who worry about the friends that they hang out with. I am not excusing any of that, saying it's just okay, whatever they do is fine, they'll grow out of it. That's not always true. It wasn't okay for Moses to kill somebody. That wasn't okay. What I am saying is, it is not the end of our hope, nor is it the end of their faith when our children make mistakes. We all need to grow, all of us. As parents, part of that growth is for our children to finally realize and put together the faith that we've been trying to instill in them from the beginning. That's what needed to happen for Moses. And ultimately, it did. Just because they haven't figured it out yet doesn't mean they won't. Remember, it took Moses 80 years to figure that out. So, Moses was born in a difficult time. He had only a short time at home. He had dangerous influences, and he needed to grow. I want to give this encouragement. The story of Moses is amazing because his parents passed on their faith to him in what I would consider some of the most difficult circumstances we can imagine. And you and I can do the same thing. I suspect that no parent has ever lived in a time where they felt their circumstances were ideal. Hey, everything is just the way I want it for me to raise kids. This is the perfect kid-raising environment. I don't think any of us or any of our parents or grandparents have ever thought that. So we're not new in that. But maybe the greater gift that we can give our children, greater than ideal circumstances, greater than never having any problems, is the gift of faith to deal with the problems that they have, to deal with the obstacles in their way. That's what we can control. So I want to encourage our parents. I want to encourage you. Talk to your kids about your faith. When the Old Testament describes this, it is described as when you lay down and when you rise up, when you sit by the way, when you walk, whatever you're doing, talk to your kids about your faith. Talk to your kids about who they are. 
So many of those questions, when the Old Testament describes the parenting process, those questions are questions of identity. Dad, why do we do this? Why do we keep Jehovah's commands? Why do we keep this feast? And Dad is there to say, we do this, son, because God did this for us. We do this because God will bless us if we do. You hear in those statements the identity that is passed on. This is who we are and what we do and why we are the blessed people of God. Talk to your children about your faith. And as they age, share with them the challenges and the blessings of faith. You know, it's not always easy to believe. And some situations of our faith are not always black and white. And as our children mature, they need to know from us, from their parents, that the things that are difficult about faith are difficult for all of us. And that these are the ways I have worked through them. And these are some some things that you can try to think through some of the difficulties and obstacles of faith. We don't want them to have a fake, shallow view of God. So it may be that we need to have a deeper view of God. So make service to God a priority for yourself. We're not going to be able to pass on to our children what we refuse in our own lives to make them somehow better than we could be. Develop develop godly character in your children. We talk so much about what our children are doing, how they're doing in school, what they're doing in sports, what organizations and activities they have, what friends they have. Don't forget that our obligation as parents is to help them to be the kind of people God wants them to be. That when all those activities are finished they're still going to be left with one character or another. So questions like, how do we treat people? How do we talk to people when they're ugly to us? What's the cost of telling the truth? How do I own up to my mistakes? Those are character questions that need to be the business of parents. Encourage and exhort your children. No matter how old they get, I understand as our children age, that relationship is going to be different. I imagine Moses, if he talked to his parents at all, probably had a different dynamic with them at 80 than he did at three months. But don't ever stop encouraging your children. That's a part of who you are. Why would that ever change? Most of all, trust that the God who has worked with you can and will work with them. And you can lead them to him in faith. Would you pray with me about it? God, our Father, we thank you so much for this time of study that you've given us. We're thankful for your word that is a guide to us, reminds us of what is important in our lives. Father, we approach you now because we are concerned parents. We're concerned for the faith of our children and the state of our children and the world in which we are raising children. Father, we want so badly for our children to come into a right relationship with you, to have a faith that that is theirs, that is vibrant, so that they can live lives that are pleasing to you, that bless them and bless others, so that ultimately they can share eternity with you. Father, this is our goal. And I pray that you'll help us as parents 
to keep our eyes on that goal, to remember the importance of developing character and identity and faith in our children, and not to be overwhelmed by all the tasks and the different things that we have to do of a worldly nature here. Father, I pray for courage in each of our parents to protect our children, to teach them and guide them, and to communicate our faith to them. I pray that you will work with us, Father, and through us so that we can return these children to you, so that you can continue to work in them and work on them even when our direct communication with them as parents ceases. We thank you so much for the faith of Moses and the encouragement it is to us. And Father, I pray that you'll help us to set up our children for that kind of success in the future. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. There might be someone here this morning who needs to respond to the invitation. This is the time of our service where we sing a song that is intended to encourage those who need to make a step in order to be right with God. And if we can help you to do that so that you can be baptized into Christ and have your sins washed away, or that you can let us know about some trouble you're having and difficulty in your life that you want us to pray about, if there is any need that you need to make known to this group, please come to the front right now as we stand and sing to encourage you.